It's a wonderful day because we get to connect with each other, encourage one another in the house of God. It's a wonderful day because today we get to honor our moms, the mothers in our lives. We get to reflect and just be excited. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful day. As you grab your Bibles, I want you to turn over to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to park our, ourselves over there for a little bit. But often throughout Scripture, I see in this Bible here that we find God accomplishing incredible things. And oftentimes, He uses some incredible ladies. He uses women to, to accomplish some awesome, awesome things. If you look in the history of the people of God, when the Israelites had to step out of Egypt in the Exodus... That whole story began with a woman named Jochebed, the mother of Moses, who by faith defied the murderous threats of an envious Pharaoh. If we look throughout the pages of scriptures, we'll find the story of King David and how it traced back to a dedicated woman by the name of Ruth, who would not leave her mother-in-law. And God redeemed. If we look through the pages of scriptures, we'll find that God, when the people, his people, were in exile in Persia, he used a woman and he delivered the people of God through her dedicated follow-through in the midst of opposition. And if we look even into the New Testament, we'll find that when God was preparing salvation for mankind to redeem us, he prepared a young woman and he used that girl Mary to bring about through the favor of God, the Messiah. And similarly, if we look in 1 Samuel, if we look in the context of the Old Testament, uh, in the period of the judges, in that sinful, dark time in the history of the Israelites, God found a godly woman, and through her, he brought forth a great reformer. Through her, he effected something incredible in the history of his people. And we find her story here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. The woman that I'm referring to this morning is the woman by the name of Hannah. And I want us to spend some time and I want us to review some things. This Mother's Day, I want to highlight to you, although it's a day where we honor moms, today is a day that we can look into her story and find some incredible things that really speak to all of us. We can find within her example some traits, some qualities of truly amazing moms and amazing mothers. And aren't we glad that we've known an amazing mom, whether literally or whether spiritually. There's been a person that has stepped in to nurture, to lead, to guide, to pour into our lives. And I am so grateful for that. So if you're in 1 Samuel, say amen. And I want to pray with you. Father, I thank you for this day, and I just invite your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and be with us in this time. Amen. 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 So as we start off, I want to just give you the, the premise real quick. There's some traits that I want to highlight, and we're going to focus on just a few of them. By no means is this an exhaustive list, because why? Moms do so much for us, don't they? And there's so much that's admirable that God has instilled inside of his people that we can learn from. But this morning, I want to highlight just a few. And the first trait that I find in her story here is that amazing mothers face some awful dilemmas. And that bears repeating. Let me say it one more time. Amazing mothers face some awful dilemmas. You know, it's interesting that when we look through the pages of this book, 
and we explore the stories of the Bible, we sometimes look and see some things that, um, you know what, uh, we gloss over. Sometimes we end up glossing over some of the problems, some of the challenges, some of the pain, some of the sorrow that is absolutely embedded in the lives of the people we read about. And that bears a reality check for us. So, reality check, spoiler alert, the people within this book did not live carefree. The people within this book did not live perfect life because they were not perfect people. And as much as we edify their virtues and their qualities and their characteristics and traits, there is a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow embedded within these pages. They were real people. You know, contrary to popular belief, they did not wake up like this. All right? Contrary to popular belief, they also had bad breath in the morning. All right. Contrary to popular belief, they at times too got bent out of shape. They too misspoke. They too (laughs) faced uncertainty. They too, the people within this book, also suffered incredible disappointments. Throughout the pages of this book, if we just look deep enough, if we just stop to contemplate and we don't gloss over the incredible miracles and and go to the next one and just see ourselves within the story, if we look into their story and understand their circumstance, look within their culture and just peek behind their curtain, we'll get to see that there's a lot of awful dilemmas that they experience. And Hannah is no exception. Let's just look at her plight for a second. First of all, it tells us in verse 1 and 2, we're going to discover that Hannah faced the plight of infertility. Look with me. It says here in verse 1 and 2, there was a certain man, keep on reading, whose name was Elkanah. In verse 2, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Let's just step into Hannah's headspace here for a moment and contemplate her situation. She had no children. It was the hope of every Jewish family, of every Jewish couple, to be able to bear kids, to have kids. For it was through those kids that they would be taken care of in old age. That was the social safety net, the social security of the time. It's not some government bailout program and retirement fund. It was the children that you bore. They're going to take care of you in old age. Not only that, but it was through children that your name would be perpetuated, that your memory would live on, that your family would keep you alive. It was through your children. And so throughout this book, if we read and understand what was the perception, what was the understanding, the idea of children, it was the idea of a blessing. For it tells us all throughout Scripture, and and for instance, in Proverbs 17.6, it says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Fathers, they're being parents. Yet Hannah is a woman who had no kids. Listen just to her prayer, her own words. This is not me reading into her story, but listen to her words in verse 11. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Did you catch her own words? She has an assessment of her situation, and that assessment is, I am afflicted. 
I'm afflicted. I am burdened. This was a common perception ingrained in the minds of the ancient world. Thousands of years ago, when Leah, one of Jacob's wives, finally gets pregnant, look at what she says in Genesis. She says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Or what about Rachel? When Rachel so desperately wanted to conceive and have a child, and it wasn't happening for her, Rachel in the book of Genesis says this, give me children or I shall die. This is not just a mere inconvenience, church. It's not just, oh, I wish I could, but that would be nice. This was a God-awful dilemma that they encountered. So that's Hannah's plight. She has no kids. She's dealing with infertility, but her situation is a little bit more egregious than that. Look at what happens in her story. If we realize and read her story, we we're going to find that not only did she have infertility, but Hannah also had a rival. She had a rival. She had an opponent. She had somebody who would instigate her. Look at verses 3 to 4. Now this man used to go up year after year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. Although within this book, if we look at Genesis, when God said, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. We see that God's intention for marriage was to be between one man and one woman. However, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, it was consistent and congruent that despite that being God's intention for mankind, polygamy was something that was common. And so once it became apparent for this man, Elkanah, that his wife Hannah could not bear any children. If we look back in the history with Abraham, when it became apparent to Sarah that she was not going to have any kids, maybe because of a lack of faith, she says, here, take my servant Hagar and go have a kid with her. Maybe because of Elkanah's lack of faith, he says, it's not going to happen with Hannah. And so he takes for himself a second wife. He marries Penina and he is able to have what he wanted. She is able to do that which Hannah could not. And she has sons and daughters. But consider this with me. She doesn't have to, you know, put yourself in her shoes. Hannah doesn't have to be reminded through Siri or Alexa. She doesn't have to mark it on her calendar. She doesn't have to do any such thing to understand and be face to face with her issue. She can just come to the dinner table and just look across the way. And what's there staring her down? Padina and her squad. All of her kids. And then sitting right next to her, oh yeah, that's right, just her husband. And Panina, and the rest of her squad. And not one child that she can claim to be her own. Every single day, imagine that she's living, staring down her challenge, her issue. She is being reminded of her rejection. But not only that, if you look into this story, it tells us, In verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
Penina was very well aware of the fact that Hannah had no kids. She was very well aware of the fact that Elkanah preferred Hannah, that Hannah might have been first, but she was the last, and she was the one that delivered what he wanted. And so unfortunately, Hannah is a woman who had an issue. She was a woman facing a dilemma of infertility and facing the dilemma of an instigating rival. And man, that can be daunting. That can be challenging. Clearly, her situation was rough. It was tough. But her story isn't an isolated one, church. If I look into the pages of Scripture, I see that circumstance. But I can say it's not only found within this book. This problem persists to this very day. And infertility affects more people than we even know. It affects more people than I care to have understood before. I found out that it affects more people. It's estimated, I was reading and researching, that among heterosexual women aged 15 to 49 years of age with no prior births, about one in five, that's 19%, are unable to get pregnant after one year of trying. Not only that, I found out that one in four of those women, 26% of them, have difficulty getting pregnant or carrying a pregnancy to term. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of pain and sorrow. See, these are the ladies who have, you know, gone to the doctors and and done their research. And they've, you know, adjusted their lives and and, and tried different things to try to be able to to fulfill this yearning within their hearts and and their lives. They have, you know, tried medications and and tried alternative methods. And they've asked for prayer. They've gone to the prayer meetings and and asked for intercession. They've been anointed by the laying on of hands and with oil. And yet, despite all of their their efforts, despite all of these things, they still have no child. And so when Mother's Day comes, when today comes, sometimes they just say, let's not go to church today because someone's going to say something about Happy Mother's Day. And, and, you know, although in their heart they have this appreciation and empathy and, and they want to celebrate for other people, but deep down the overwhelming emotion that's in the heart is not one of extreme joy, but it's one of longing. It's an emotion of desire that is still unsatiated, that's left unfulfilled. And my heart breaks for each of you. My heart truly does. That's facing this plight before. I've been in the hospital room after someone's miscarriage. I've been there and I've rallied with you in prayer and I've, you know, I've fielded the anguished phone calls and the questions and, and I wish that in those moments of your anguish and pain, in the middle of this circumstance, I wish I could stand up here and say to every mom that is yearning, every desiring mother-to-be that has a dream of having a child, I wish I could tell you why some people have kids and others don't. I wish I could say the words and just release your miracle for you, but I can't. But here's what I can tell you today. Is this okay? I hope that you would just hear my heart behind these words. I'm not trying to rub salt on the wound by being a panina, but I want you to just hear what I'm saying. This is what I do know and what I can tell you. And that is that your value is not dependent upon your fertility. What I can tell you is that I'm speaking to everyone here, okay? Everyone, even the non-moms, even the men in the room, the kids in the room. Hear me out. Your value is not anchored to something that you can do. 
You're valuable, not because you have achieved some incredible feat or you have, you know, acquired some coveted thing or the fact that you have advanced some great cause. No, your value is anchored on who you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm valuable for who I am. You are valuable because your value is anchored on who you are. It's anchored to the image of God in you. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. You are his workmanship prepared by God. You are precious in his sight. In the car with my boy going home, sometimes he just starts singing at the top of his lungs, Yes, Jesus loves me. And I'm, I just love hearing that. Because it's unspurred, it it just bursts out within him, and he starts singing that, and that is so true. Jesus loves you not for what you can do, but he loves you for who you are. He loves you because he's embedded value within you. Not only can I tell you that in the midst of your dilemma and your plight, that you are anchored in value because of who you are, but I can tell you this. That God's plan for you is greater than you currently perceive. God's plan for your life is greater than what you currently perceive. See, your story is still unfolding, is it not? See, could it be that for many people without children now, no child now, no answer now, no resolution now, no change now, it doesn't mean that one is not forthcoming in the future. Just because it's not happening right now does not mean that it is never going to happen. See, God may simply be preparing you to be a better parent, to be a better steward, to be a better person when it finally does come. See, your story has not yet been fulfilled. That was exactly what happened with Sarah. That's exactly what happened with Elizabeth, with Hannah, with Rachel. It's exactly what happened with so many people in times past. It's what's happened within people's lives that I know and family members that I've met. God is just preparing you for when it does come. And maybe for some of you, your story has not been written yet. Maybe no child now may mean that God is preparing you to be the answer to someone else's prayers. See, somewhere there's a foster child, somewhere there might be an orphan child that has been praying for you and you have never considered that idea and yet God is molding and shaping and restructuring your heart to say yes. Maybe God is changing the circumstances of your life as he was changing the circumstances of Hannah's life so that she could be an answer to prayer, not only in the life of a child and her family, but to be the answer to a nation. Maybe what God is orchestrating is not that you would right now have what you want. Maybe he is trying to divert your attention, your resources, your time, your energy. Maybe whatever it is that God has not released yet in your life is because he's going to meet your yearning, your desire by you first meeting someone else's. And in doing so, as you fulfill and answer the prayers of another person, God truly unwinds and removes the scales, removes the perceptions, and he allows you to truly see and understand what you truly yearned for in the first place was greater than what you were asking. 
God is not finished with you yet. His plans for you are greater than what you perceive. Because maybe for some of us here, and let's just be honest, and I see this in Scripture, maybe no child for you right now means that God is ordaining and aligning you for a very specific calling, which a child for you would impede. Okay, that, that, that is heavy. And that is when we say to the Lord, Lord, your will be done. And I see that. I know Paul is a man and he's not a mother. But let me just think of Paul for, for just a moment. Imagine Paul for just a moment. If Paul had pursued a wife and children, think about this. God had a calling that was specific and intense for this man. And he had called him to do something, to be his apostle who would suffer for him incredibly, to be a testimony and a witness to the Gentiles. If God had given him a wife and children... I think that would have been incredibly unfair for that would-be family. Stop and consider this with me. Years and years and years spent on the missionary field, going on journeys and not knowing if he's going to come back. Imagine the turmoil and the stress that it would have imposed on a family, all of those incredible acts of persecution that he had to withstand drownings and stonings and being left for dead time and time again. Imagine the emotional roller coaster of a wife and of a kid not knowing if daddy's coming home, if daddy's going to be dead tomorrow because God had ordained for him something that was so big that it needed him to be completely set apart in this fashion. And so maybe, you know, could it be that in God's plan, there is something that God wants to do in us, that it would be fairer for us, fairer for those who are tied and connected to us, to have God lead us in a different direction. I know it's something hard to hear, but it could be that your dream has not yet been fulfilled because God has a plan for you that has not yet been unfoiled, has not yet been unrolled and unraveled and revealed. And my challenge to you, my yearning for you, my yearning for myself is to say, Lord, help me to see the plans that you have for me. Lord, reveal to me your ways and what you're teaching me in this moment and this time. See, church, through Hannah, I see that amazing moms face awful dilemmas. But not only that, I see in her story, and I've seen it in amazing moms, is that amazing moms also show awesome dedication. Hannah demonstrated some incredible dedication. We've already read in verses 2 and 3. That every year Hannah would go up from her hometown to Shiloh. She would travel the miles and she would go to worship God and make sacrifices with her family. We're not told of any other woman in scripture who would do this besides Hannah and her family. And so Panina included, despite her infertility, despite the unrelenting traveling rival right beside her, she went year after year. She showed up every year to worship. And I propose to you that she kept on coming. She kept going because of her dedication. Look with me in verse 9 and beyond. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah arose. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and kept and wept bitterly. 
Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. See, church, I, I see within that statement, within her action, year after year, coming back again and again, what I see is the portrait of a woman who has developed some familiarity, some wom- a woman that is not just going through the motions, a woman that is absolutely rooted and dedicated and, and committed to this relationship. She's not a lady who's saying, all right, time to pack the suitcase and make the annual trek to church. Let me make my annual appearance at the house of worship and let me do my duties there. No, this is a snapshot of a woman who's developed some familiarity. She's developed a dependence and some rapport with God. She's had enough intimacy, enough vulnerability to bring her hot tears and her anguished cries to the Lord. This is a woman that has um, not just considered God as this big guy in the sky, but she's considered God a knowable God, a one who is intimately careful and considerate of her needs, who by studying him and spending time with him, she's come to know something of his nature and character. Observe what she calls God in that prayer of hers. She says, Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts. That literally means the commander of heaven's armies. She went in in the middle of her pain, her sorrow, her anguish, being pastured by her rival. She cries out to God, not just saying, hey, big guy up in the sky. She calls out to his incredible power, ability, sovereignty, and authority. In a moment of uncertainty, in a moment of pain and sorrow, in a moment where she does not know what's going to happen to her future, or if her circumstance can change, in her powerlessness, she cries out to a God that has all authority in her hands, in his hands, and she reaches out. How encouraging is that? Amazing moms show awesome dedication. Hannah's not a mere check-the-box follower, but she's a person that's dedicated her pursuit of God, that's dedicated in understanding God. And she's a woman that knew only one word from him would be all she needed. One word from the Lord is all that she needs. Why? Because he is the Lord of hosts. And isn't that what she experiences in her story? Those of you who have read it and know her situation, she goes to Shiloh. She's there after lunch and and, and doing the the, the festival and, and celebrating with the meal. She gets up and she goes to worship. And as she's there by the by the structure, the 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 place of worship, she starts praying to God. And her lips are moving, but no words are coming out of her mouth. And as she's praying, she gets noticed this particular year. Eli, the priest, sees this woman and he confuses her and mistakes her for being a person that has just overindulged in the wine. As was common, so many times there was people celebrating in the feast and they would overdo it with the wine. And so he looks at her and says, lady, won't you put away your drink? To which she says, sorry, sir, don't consider me to be a worthless woman, but consider me to be a woman that is completely filled with anguish and sorrow and I'm pouring out my heart to God. And in that moment, Eli tells her, I'm so sorry. He says to her, may the Lord hear your prayers and grant your request. 
May the Lord hear your prayers and grant your request. Go in peace. Verse 18, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. It's incredible to me that this woman shows up afflicted and she leaves in peace. Let your mind be at peace when you make your requests known to the Lord. Let the peace that surpasses all understanding be your portion as you make your requests, your petitions to God. How awesome is it that we can come to a God that is the Lord of hosts, who commands all of heaven's armies, who has all power and authority in his hands. We can come to him and we can be at rest because he has the power to fulfill our our desires. Hannah walks away filled with power. A mother dedicated to God provides a great heritage to those within her life. Her knowledge of God, her dependency upon God, her prayers to God, they affect change and transformation in this world. Hudson Taylor was an incredible man of the Lord. And in his earlier years, when he was 18 years old, he wandered into his father's library and he read a gospel track. He couldn't shake the message that he heard and he read off of those pages. And finally, falling to his knees, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And later, his mother, who had been away when she returned home, he had to go and just pour out his heart to her and tell her what had happened. When his mom arrived and he started telling her the good news, she said this to him, I already knew it. For 10 days ago, the very date on which you tell me you read the track, I had spent the entire afternoon praying for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son would be coming into the fold. Church, what would happen if our prayer meetings, our church, if our Bible studies, if our, if our small groups was, was absolutely overflowing with incredible prayer warriors? What witnesses would we be? What incredible testimonies would we testify of? What incredible transformation would we give glory to God for if our church was filled and our altars were overflowing with people who got down and they prayed in dedication to the Lord? God would affect some incredible change. And we see in her story that Hannah not only was dedicated to God, but she became a woman dedicated. And I'm gonna bring this out in just a little bit, but let me just tell you one last one and we'll wrap up with this and I'll tie it together. Not only was she a woman who went through awful dilemmas, but she was a woman who also showed incredible, awesome dedication. And Hannah also shows us that amazing mothers admirably deliver Yes, pardon me, my pun, but amazing mothers admirably deliver. Look with me in verse 20, uh, verse 19. They went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Some translations and some scholars say that name Samuel means the Lord has heard. 
What an incredible thing. It tells us in the scripture that God remembered Hannah. And that doesn't mean that God had, you know, uh, let her slip out of his mind. Where she had escaped his mind, somehow got lost in all of his activity and the flurry of things that God manages. No, but God remembered in the sense that he decided to act on her behalf. God decided to act on Hannah's behalf and Hannah delivered a son somebody here maybe you need to hear this this morning it's mother's day you might not be a mother or you might be a mother you might be yearning to be a mother let me just say this that you need to hear this fact that God remembered Hannah God remembers you When you feel like your prayers are not being answered, like you feel like God has lost sight of you in the midst of all that he has to manage, all the the prayer emails that he gets, all the text messages that are coming up into his phone, he has somehow overlooked you. God remembers you. God has noticed you. God is preparing you. God has a plan for you and your story has not yet been completely unraveled. God remembered Hannah, but that's not the admirable part. I said, pardon my pun, but it's not the fact that Hannah was able to have a child that is what we get to celebrate. What I think is the incredible thing within this story is the fact that Hannah admirably delivered on her word. Look with me in verse 24 and onward. And when she had weaned him, being Samuel, she took him up with her. Keep reading. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. Verse 25. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, talking to the priest, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence. I'm the very same lady that was praying to the Lord and you thought that I was drunk. I am she who asked for a child and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah is the only woman that is recorded in scripture to have made a vow and has been shown to fulfill that vow. She is a woman in the scriptures who not only prayed, if you look at her prayer, her dedication to God, she's the woman that 18 times called out on the name of God. No other woman has prayed and invoked his name in a powerful way. Not even Eli, when he's speaking to this woman, invokes the same words, the same titles, the same affirmation for God as she does. She is a woman that is incredibly dedicated, but she is a woman who fulfills and follows through on her vow. She said, Lord, if you give Give him to me, I will give him back to you. After years of yearning for that child, after decades even of asking God and being prodded by her rival and looking at the dinner table day and day and day and day and day and seeing her sorrow, here is a woman who finally receives that which she has dreamt of. And then she says, the dream giver has given it to me and now I release the dream back onto the dream giver. How many of us, church, could be honestly say, I would be ready and willing to give God back everything that I've so desperately asked for? He who chooses, who wants to gain his life, must lose it. 
How many of us, if God said to us, yeah, that dream business of yours that you've always wanted, give it back to me. And maybe I'm going to take you in a whole different direction. How many of us would say, Lord, I just got this. I just opened, I just registered it. I finally got my biggest sale. I found, Lord, things are finally working out for me. God, you finally gave me the child. Lord, you finally opened up the door. Lord Jesus, you just gave me my paperwork to stay in this country. And now you're calling me to go around the world and do whatever else that you want me to do. How many of us would be so willing and ready to say, Lord, that which I've prayed for, yearned for, cried for, dreamed of. I'm ready to release it back into your hands. But amazing moms, this amazing Hannah shows us that they also admirably deliver. They follow through. I invite the team to come up and worship God. And I'm going to invite parents, uh, moms to come up in just a bit. Hannah fulfilled her vow to the Lord And I praise God that she showed no reservations. She instead recognized that God had a plan for her. Not only that, when God spoke in the Garden of Eden and he he spoke that God would affect a plan and that plan would come through a woman, she said, I want to be counted among the ladies who have the privilege and the opportunity to partner with God and bring about change and transformation into the world. I am grateful that this woman wanted so deeply to be part of the answer, so deeply to be used by God, that she said to him, Lord, I will give back to you because, Lord, you have loaned him to me. Church, not a thing that you have within your possession, not a thing that comes into your control, not a thing that you feel is yours truly belongs to any of us. It is all loaned by God. It's only on furlough. It's only on loan to us. Our time, our talent, our resources, our money, our family, our kids, our spouses, all of it is on loan from God to us. And our responsibility is to employ it to bring about his plans to bring about his hope in the life of those that we will touch. It's all known. I imagine if Hannah had not followed through on her word, if she had said, finally, Lord, I have my little Samuel. You heard my prayer, but I'm choosing to not hear the words that I have spoken. My vow that I had promised. What would we be reading about in the pages of scripture? See, Samuel was the final judge in the history of the Israelites, and he was the first official prophet to the nation. See, Samuel came at a time where the spiritual flame of the nation was waning and almost out. And God used this man to set it ablaze once more. Samuel became the kingmaker. He became the man who anointed the first king of Israel, the man who anointed the next king, the man after God's own heart, who through his lineage, through the mothers within his life, finally we would get Mary, who brought us the Savior of the world. I wonder if Hannah had said, no, he is mine. How different would our lives be today? Amazing mothers, Amazing believers, incredible people in the faith, they know how to admirably deliver and follow through. God, it is yours. It is your plan. It is your purpose. 
and I will follow you in what you want to accomplish. Friends, whatever it is that God has brought to you, I invite you to ask him, Lord, what is your plan in this? Lord, I don't have what I've yearned for yet, but God, when I do have it, what do you want to accomplish in my life through it? God, I may not have what I've been desiring or yearning for, but Lord God, what is it that you have for me instead that you want to do that I can just bless and glorify you in? Father, what is your plan that you are unfoiling, unraveling in my life? 